This is IVP. This is The Disruptors, a podcast from InterVarsity Press about how faith is changing culture in unexpected ways. I'm Nancy Wong Yoon. I'm a sociologist, a pop culture expert, and a professor at Biola University. New eyes that look at the world in new ways. New eyes make contact blue, green, and gray. New eyes I realized I never knew when you realize feelings you trapped inside of you. New eyes that see the respect. I am here, as usual, with my friend G. Hello. Hi, G. Uh, we. This week, talked to, or I talked to, Dr. Peace Amadi. She's a mental health expert, and she's an associate professor of psychology. So that's similar to your field, right? Cognitive science. But I know nothing about feelings or any of that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making statistical models that predict the world, man. (laughs) Okay. So I guess I don't know enough about the psychology (laughs) field. It's why, just like sociology is, right? And so, um, and Peace, Dr. Peace is a, a TED speaker, TV host, and she's the author of Why Do I Feel Like This? understand your difficult emotions and find grace to move through. I almost feel like her name is like a precursor to like what she's an expert in. She's (laughs) she's like, my name is Peace. I'm going to bring you some inner peace, man. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Talking to her, I think, unlocked some of my, it felt like a a little bit like a therapy session for me. I got Ah. to ask her all the questions that, um, I mean, things that came up in her book that I thought were really applicable, I think, not just in the church, but even beyond. I think she talked about spiritual bypassing, which is, I think, when people are going through a tough time, it's so easy, I think, for friends or colleagues to just be like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you should, there's, you have so much to be grateful for, oh right? So and, bland. So bland. <laughs> and then, if, well, then also Christians might say, like, just pray about it, oh, right? And so these kinds of things, uh, we talked about how it's a way to essentially, I mean, we do this, we do this kind of talk to ourselves even, right? right. That, um, that we just need to be positive and get through it, but that, that these things that have become socialized into society to avoid pain are actually very destructive. Well, I can't wait to hear this episode then. So, peace. I am also a UCLA alum. I'm wearing my UCLA sweatshirt. Ah, (laughs) I love us. (laughs) I majored. What did you, did you also major in psychology then? I did. Did you? I majored in um, English, creative writing, actually, and then um, and then I only took like an intro to sociology. But for some reason, I thought, you know what, I can go ahead and get a PhD in sociology. So <laughs> it was a no, little, um, you know, I just I didn't know. I'd never been a, uh, no one in my family has has a PhD. I am so thrilled to welcome Dr. P. Samadhi, who is a mental health expert and an associate professor of psychology and leadership at Hope International University, which is, I think, just down the street from Biola, um, mm. which is where I teach. <laughs> she mm. is also a TED speaker and TV host. She is the author of Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. Welcome, Dr. Amadi. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Nancy. <laughs> Ooh, this is cool. We can, we can just continue to call each other like Dr. Phil, Dr. Nancy, Dr. Peace. <laughs> All of them. You know, that actually sounds like a great panel. We should we should make that happen. 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it, it makes it kind of informal, but still acknowledges, right, that the fact that we do have, you know, doctorates and we did do some research and have some have some education in order to speak on the topics of our expertise. So, yeah. and I'm so excited to kind of draw on your expertise today uh, because on the disruptors, we've been talking to a lot of people who are disrupting culture, and that takes a lot. That takes a toll mentally, spiritually, and you write in your book, uh, Why Do I Feel Like This? Like, we need to learn how to embrace our pain, both individually and I think collectively. And I find that, you know, we have a, we're not very equipped to do that as a people, uh, as a church, as a society. And, and I, I wanted to know, you know, how do we do this well? How do, how do we embrace our pain individually and help each other deal with the pain that's, you know, coming out of childhood trauma, out of continual trauma? I care for the church. I care for, um, you know, people who are coming up in the church and, you know, have faith. But I've been really personally disillusioned and disappointed by how um, how much we have lacked an ability to help people understand their own pain, understand their own mental health and be able to heal in an actual true way. And so a lot of that starts with understanding our emotions and how they've been, we've been designed to experience both positive and negative emotions, pleasant and difficult emotions for our own healing, for our own health, for our own connection, you know, for the things that kind of make a difference in the lives that we're living. So I'm wanting to bridge the gap. I'm wanting to bridge the gap between those who've come up in the church or any other kind of system or institution that has sort of robbed them of a a good relationship with their emotions um, and helping people understand that th- these are these these things, these emotions are really things we need to lean into um, for our own sake. Yeah, because you mentioned, and this has happened to me so much, and I've probably also done it, right? The kind of spiritual bypassing. I love that 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 term that you have in your book about um, how when we use uh, spiritual ideas to belittle our, our own needs, feelings, as, as well as those of others. So like terms like uh, just pray about it or <laughs> there's a reason for everything. You know, God, God has a plan for you and you have so much to be grateful for. I, I find that, oh, man, I find that those are just excuses is not to kind of deal with pain. Our emotions are our pathway to healing. So, you know, if you think about, again, going back to my first point about emotions being our friends, our, our allies, our advocates. I mean, our emotions are literally telling us what we need in our lives. They're telling us what has been missing. They're telling us needs that have gone unmet. They're telling us, you know, that we're lonely, that we're sad, that we're disconnected, that you know, something that something has been unjust, something has been unfair, that boundaries have been crossed, like our emotions are literally trying to save our life. And so when we use anything, you know, particularly, you know, spiritual, spiritual concepts and platitudes, like just let go and, you know, let God and just forgive and just don't worry about it. You know, we're really kind of threatening if not cutting off our ability to get exactly what we need in that moment. We literally cannot heal when we bypass our emotions. 
our emotions are trying to tell us what we need. When we bypass them, we cut off the we we mm-hmm. obstruct the pathway to healing. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like hell bent on getting churches, getting communities, getting people people of faith. Um, getting people who are deconstructing faith and even people who have left the faith because of these things to sort of unlearn these messages that it's easy um, or it's even possible or that it's right to just let go and let God or to believe everything happens for a reason. That one is a particular, con- a particularly controversial one because you know, there's there's theologies around everything happens for a reason. But me, as a as a mental health professional, as a behavioral scientist, as someone who has, you know, previously practiced therapy and been in the room with people who have been raped and molested and have lost their children and you know lost their parents and you know like just deeply wounded. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God made you go through that. Like that God was like, you know what? I really want this person to you know, learn like about my goodness. So I'm going to get them raped and then, you know, then they're going to see how good I am. Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, why, why would you believe in a God that, that does that? that? That's not the God I see. That's not the God I believe in. Um, That's not a God I can get with. And that's not a God I would tell anybody about. That's not a God I'd be proud to be aligned with when I've seen the type of things that people go through. So, Everything happens for a reason. Maybe some things happen for a reason, but everything certainly does not in 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 my eyes. That that doesn't make sense to say, but that is a very common thing that is said in churches and in, in spiritual communities to people in pain. Um, I'm not okay with that. I'm angered by that. And I would like for us to um change how we view pain, change how we view trauma, change how we view our emotions, change how we view God for those who still consider themselves um, believers. I think on the one hand, we want to believe that that God is good and all things happen, you know, according to God's purpose, which actually you write that you do believe that every, in everything we can find purpose, yes. um, even if things are not happening for a reason that is knowable or ever knowable, or even that there even exists a reason at all. Right. right. And um, and so I think that that's the nuance. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between happening for a reason and then finding purpose in our, our trauma. Yeah. Thank you for that question. And wow, you really read my book. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I always do. Dr. Nancy, Dr. Nancy doing her homework. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. So, um, yes, for me, the, for me, the difference or what I teach the different is, is, you know, a reason sort of indicates like that sort of implies a, like there was a, a, a premeditation and there was a premeditator. There was somebody sitting there. I have a reason for putting you through this. And so when we're using that, you know, this idea in spiritual context and faith context, where the implication here is that God, you know, he sort of premeditated you going through a trauma so that you can learn a lesson. And like I said, that doesn't work for me. And I don't think that works for a lot of people when you really think about the type of things that we've been through. I think things happen. I think bad things happen. Um, I think bad things happen because of the world we're living in. You know, I, I, I believe in the idea of free will, God giving us free will, and that being 
Um, that meaning that a lot of people are going to do some effed up things to each other. And that's just what the world mm -hmm. is. We live in a world full of both light and darkness and things happen. It, it's, we're just, we're running <laughs> and things are happening and things are being destroyed. And, you know, you know, theologically, you know, there's supposed to be an end to all of it. And I don't want to get into all that, but in the world we live in, it's, there's a lot of darkness and things happen. There's a lot of bad people and bad things happen. Now, I do believe, though, that God has given us the power. Um, God has given us the sense. God has given us the support to be able to take the worst things we've been through and create some sort of meaning out of it. So I don't know why you got raped. I I hate that you got raped. I, I am going to, you know, create um, you know, I'm going to protest and, you know, vote for certain policies and like stand up to the fact that you got raped. Like, I, I'm not going to tell you there was a reason for that. But as someone who, uh, you know, wants to be a part of your healing, I'm going to I'm going to explore with you. How can we take this and create meaning out of it? How can we take this and, you know, through our own healing process or along with our own healing process, help other people heal? How can we be to somebody what we didn't get? Those types of things actually help us heal. Like part of healing, part of our healing process is often being able to, um, con like to share and to contribute, I uh, years ago I uh, created and ran a nonprofit with um, young girls who've all experienced all kinds of traumas, and part of the work was them kind of retelling their story and being able to share their new story with people, and also taking people under their wing to sort of like help them in their healing process. And that really was the difference between someone who was able to move forward from their pain and someone who was, um, and uh, you know, appropriately so like understandably still, still stuck in it, that sharing and that contributing, that being able to give to somebody maybe what you couldn't, what you couldn't get yourself. Um, mm. All of that is a big part of our healing process. And all of that creates meaning and, and a sense of purpose, even though we've been through the hardest thing someone can go through. I think that's what makes a big difference for people who are able to move forward is not understanding or finding out the reason why they were so hurt, but saying, you know, this is what happened to me. I'll never understand why it'll never be okay, but I'm going to take this. I'm going to heal and I'm going to help other people heal too. What about sharing though in unsafe spaces? I mean, sometimes when you share publicly, you don't know who's listening. And I just think about like, you know, sometimes sometimes I'll share, like, let's say, you know, I ha actually I shared um, one time with a colleague about like some some microaggression I had witnessed. Right. Some I, I don't even actually think it was myself. It was uh, like a microaggression that happened to someone else. And the person was immediately like, oh, well, that that didn't happen, <laughs> you know. And I remember feeling, wow, I shouldn't have even shared with her because that actually re-traumatized me. So how do you, you know, avoid those kind of situations? Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's unavoidable if you are going through this process of sharing with folks your yeah, experience. Yeah, you, you, bring, you bring up a great issue of safety. Safety is a really, really, really important part of um, the healing process. Um, 
And I would not advise you sharing your trauma with somebody or with a community or with a leader that does not feel safe. Um, It's part of the reason why me, like so many else, so many other people are, you know, champions of therapy because therapy is a safe space. It typically is a safe space for you to go and share your trauma, um, share your pain. And, you know, that... I, I will always champion that as a as a very important part of the healing process. I mean, some people are able to to fare without it, but most people require um, additional support and being able to move through trauma and, and um, heal, you know, from trauma when trauma can be healed from. I think um, not. I think safety is a prerequisite for healing, and so I wouldn't mm-hmm. suggest you sharing your story. Um, or you trying to explore, you know, purpose and and meaning um, with your story with a person or in a space that does not feel safe, um, and and your body knows what that feels like. Your body knows when you're safe and when you're not safe. So I'm thinking about in that case, it was a colleague that actually was maybe a like a friendly colleague. So I don't, but we had never talked about race (laughs) before, right? So then I think that um, when I started to talk about it, I think I probably started to sense that she wasn't feeling me, but but it was kind of already too late. I already started the story. So then, um, I mean, I guess it's hard to kind of avoid in maybe work situations or just kind of, I guess, having boundaries, right? Where you don't talk about certain things. Yeah, having boundaries. As soon as you learn something is not safe, don't don't keep doing it you know like like stand up for yourself advocate for yourself like you know if it means in the conversation you know what this no longer feels safe so I would like not to continue this conversation which I say actually quite often uh, particularly in conversations dealing with race and uh, justice and you know my experiences being a black woman and all of that um, especially having worked in predominantly white spaces for much of my life. Like these conversations come up, um, invitations to be a part of, you know, roundtables and discussions come up where I begin to talk, I begin to share, and I realize immediately this is not a safe space. These are people that n- not only don't understand, but aren't willing to understand. And I, I, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to prove my experiences. I don't need to do any of that. So, you know, if, if I'm going to have to work hard to justify and validate myself. You're already telling me this is not a safe space. So you know what? I yeah, I'm not going to participate, or I, I don't think I want to continue this conversation with you, and that's okay. So going back to something you said a few minutes ago, you may not always know right away. You know that you're in you know in conversation or in a space that's not going to be safe, whether it's because they don't understand your trauma or understand your race or understand your faith or understand your experience, whatever the case may be. Um, because it's not like, you know, people have, you know, labels. I'm safe. I'm not unsafe. You know, like you learn that in time, <laughs> you learn that in process. But like I said, your body always knows. So as soon as you feel it, it's okay. And it's my recommendation that you cut that off at that moment. You can process later whether, you know, you want to like kind of reengage this conversation again at another time or, you know, be a part of like, you know, teaching whoever you're talking to what it means to be safe. I mean, this will all look different based off the space you're in, who you're with, 
you know, because I'm I'm immediately thinking of being kind of in a romantic relationship with someone who does something that doesn't feel safe. And in that moment, because you're committed to this relationship, you attempt to teach them what makes you feel safe versus, you know, another situation where like going back to the example that I was sharing, you're in a, you know, a, a department meeting and you're talking with people who are looking at you crazy and looking like, you know, like they just don't really care to listen to what you have to say. You know, I, I'm not committed to deep relationship with you. So what? <laughs> Conversation over. <laughs> like, um, and that's okay. Yeah, and that's that's how we advocate for ourselves. And to bring it back to like my, um, kind of the first thing I was talking about as far as our emotions, I talk about, you know, I spend a chapter talking about anxiety and how anxiety generally, at least the way I like to talk about it is, you know, is, a signal that we don't feel safe. So when I say like the body knows when we're safe, if we're in a room, if we're in a relationship, if we're, you know, interacting with someone and we're all of a sudden feeling all of this anxiety, that, you know, our first thought shouldn't be, oh, here I go being anxious again. Our first thought should actually be, my, this is trying to tell me something. Perhaps mm -hmm. I'm not safe. You know, perhaps yeah. my body is literally advocating in this moment for me to self-protect, to self-preserve. Like we feel these things for a reason. We have the ability to feel these things for a reason. These aren't good or bad things. These are simply messages. So if I'm feeling a ton of anxiety all of a sudden when I'm trying to share about my trauma or my experience as a Black woman or whatever, you know, my anxiety is giving me a chance to say like, you know what, let me step back from this because I need to understand kind of I want to I want I just want to listen to me and I'm I'm feeling like something here is not is not good is not right maybe I'm overreacting maybe I'm triggered maybe it's taking me back to childhood maybe this is you know you know you know too much or maybe my emotion is literally telling me I'm not safe and I need to listen to it yeah, you know, this reminds me, I just uh, was in a Zoom meeting where I was really, really felt probably, I think the person might have been attacking me, but it was like attacking an issue that I cared about. And then it, it seemed to be like going down a path that I had no control over. So I actually did say like, you know, I'm going to say one last thing and I'm going to get off. <laughs> that was what I said, because I realized that it wasn't, my presence was was unhealthy for me and it wasn't actually advancing you know the thing the, the actual project that I was passionate about so so I actually did just do that and it was I think it was a breach right it's like a social breach when you do that and I think a lot of people are maybe afraid to do that but I mm. I felt very it was liberating for me Good. because I was like I don't have to be here <laughs> and I don't have to take this anymore and lots of people actually contacted me afterwards and it actually activated some of the students that were in the room so I think that sometimes you know you think that you're gonna do something wrong if you actually you know protect yourself and actually just say I'm out but in, in actuality it's um I think my my partner was saying he was like he's like it's like the like the the NBA coach that that gets you know a technical foul in order to kind of rally his team yeah um, gets thrown out thrown out of the game he's like that's, that's what you did you know you got thrown out of the game and <laughs> actually made a statement so I, I totally agree that to kind of set boundaries and to let people know like you know this isn't working for me and and you know I'm out and yeah and it actually makes people think about because it, it stops uh, business as usual right like and it makes people actually I think 
uh, assess the moment for themselves. So I think, yeah, what I did was maybe I also represented some of the other people that were in the room that maybe felt uncomfortable as well, right? So it's, I, I totally, um, yeah, I just realized after talking to you, I was like, I did that recently. <laughs> Good. I'm really happy to hear that. And I would encourage you to continue to feel the freedom to do that. And anybody listening, because like I said, whatever you felt was signaling that something, you know, stopped being okay. And so, you know, if you said something along the lines of, you know, sometimes we feel like it's wrong and to do that and and that's all conditioning. And that's part of what I want to understand. Part of what I want people to understand is that we have been conditioned since the day we left the womb, (laughs) right, to do all kinds of things, you know, in all different kinds of contexts. And part of adulting, if you ask me, is starting to sort of peel back why we think certain things are right and why we think certain things are wrong. And is there really an objective truth there? Or is this literally like conditioning, you know, from the church, from, you know, a patriarchy from whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, like, let's question why we think certain things are wrong to do. Obviously, you know, I I, I imagine I'm speaking to smart people who aren't going to sit here and, you know, say like, oh, so let me re-question whether murder is wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like you, you guys all know what I'm talking about here, but it's more, more of these nuanced things that I would like us to reconsider individually and collectively because there's a lot of things that we feel are wrong um, that are not okay, that we don't give ourselves permission to do, which could actually save our life. Yeah, especially as a, as an Asian-American woman, um, I think that there are expectations that are maybe from society, from, you know, from family of origin of just yeah, expecting um, me to to just go with the flow, to not make waves, to not question, to not complain, to not be angry, all those things that uh, are absolutely, like you said, these are emotions. I mean, in that meeting, I was actually shaking. Mm. Like I started to feel myself shaking with, with I don't know whether it was anger, whether it was feeling mm. of injustice, feeling like um, something was wrong. And, and I, that was my, so like, because you write in your book about like when you repress, when you don't let emotions kind of out, you can have physical repercussions, right? You can have actually health, physical health um, problems that result from not being able to access, not being able to really kind of release your emotions. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely felt like I've, I've, I was experiencing that, and I was like, oh, oh this is not okay. Yeah, <laughs> you know? uh, emotions so. are energy, so we're we're going to feel it. They're going to manifest regardless. So you might as well lean in and and talk it out. <laughs> I felt so empowered by my conversation with Dr. P. Samadhi. And honestly, we could have filled out the entire season of The Disruptors with all the questions I had about emotions. So if you're enjoying this conversation and you want to dive deeper into some of the topics we touched on, like spiritual bypassing, safety, or trauma, you will definitely want to pick up a copy of her book, Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. In the book, Dr. Peace emphasizes how important it is for us to pay attention to our feelings and how our emotions are our friends. I resonated with her calling out casual dismissals of trauma in the name of God as offensive and agree with her hope to see us grow in compassion for others and for ourselves. And I feel like she nailed it when she wrote, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but I do believe that in everything we can find purpose. 
Order your copy of Why Do I Feel Like This by Peace Amati today at ivpress.com. Plus, as a listener of the Disruptors podcast, you can also get 30% off plus free U.S. shipping when you use the promo code DISRUPT. Who else grew up clipping coupons? Visit ivpress.com today and pick up your copy of Why Do I Feel Like This? So for people of faith in marginalized groups, often I feel like there's this added layer of like, we're supposed to all love each other and get along. Why don't you understand me? And why are you questioning me? My Sometimes questioning my very like identity, right? That um, being questioned that my feelings about injustice are not valid, right? How does this happen when you're in communities of faith? How do you deal with that? Because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm, I've, I've experienced a lot of that kind of trauma. Oh, man, girl, that's a whole other <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast. But, I, you know, I mean, first of all, thanks for naming that, because it, that's a very real phenomenon. Like, you know, it, intersectionality is is a real thing. And so when we're talking about, um, you know, we're talking about our social identities, but we're also talking about like our, you know, lived experiences and, and that, you know, spiritual bypassing for one person can happen at one level. Um, but for another person, because they're, you know, a woman or they're, you know, black or Asian or they're queer or they're, um, you know, single. That's another thing I bring up in the book, like whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. like it just adds more opportunities to be spiritually bypassed <laughs> and to be spiritually gaslit. So, mm. you know, there's implications of having intersecting identities and experiences as well, even when it comes to spiritual bypassing and spiritual gaslighting. Um, which is like crazy, um, like what some of us go through just trying to be a part of the church, Ugh. Mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what to say to that is first just ag- acknowledging that that's real, acknowledging that you, having, you know, m- multiple social identities and different experiences and being a part of a marginalized group, not being a white male as layers to this experience and as opportunities for you to be further traumatized in the church. And that's just the reality of the situation, um, especially given how much uh, white supremacy and patriarchy is in the church in the first place. Like, of course, you know, you and I are going to be hit harder uh, by certain things and certain communities if they're rolling a certain way. So just acknowledging and validating that, like, that's a real concern um, and that it's like we're getting multiple bullets at a time sometimes. And I think when that is the case, it's really important to have support. It's really important to be able to have somebody, whether there's someone who, you know, looks like you, understands you, um, you know, validates who you are, um, or, or so someone who looks like you and understands you because they live a similar experience to you or someone who is like doing the work to understand you. But regardless, it's really, really important to have support, to have someone saying like you make sense, your feelings make sense, like your your trauma makes sense, your concern makes sense. The fact that you're feeling, you know, more bullets than the average person makes sense. Like that really goes a long way for feeling like you're not crazy. You know, um, and I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's been a big part of my personal journey, just even over the last few years, is being able to validate myself and the concerns I've had working in 
predominantly white Christian spaces. So I teach at a at a private Christian university that is mostly white, you know, politically conservative leaning. Um and <laughs> just <laughs> I'm grateful for my work, but I've seen a lot of things. And um I think a part of me in the beginning just felt like, oh, I'm being dramatic. Uh, you know, like that was that was a weird thing to say to me, but I'm being dramatic. Oh, that was a weird thing to, you know, witness. Um, ugh, I'm being dramatic, but now it's like, what? Like, this is <laughs> gaslighting and this is bypassing. And, um, I am, you know, I am being othered right now and my experiences are being invalidated and, you know, that's real. And so it's, it's been easier to come to that place because I have a community of people, a couple within my department, but a lot more outside of it that just get me and get why this is hard and, and ugly, you know, and, and painful. Um, that helps me stand in my truth. Whether I decide to leave or not, you know, is, is one thing, but I, at least I'm able to say this is this is a real thing. Like what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing is real. There is a problem. Support and people who mirror that really help being able to stand in that, which makes you feel, you know, that you're not crazy. And and that's and that's big. Validation is big. Yes. <laughs> yes to all that. It's uh it's sometimes scary to talk about it openly because yeah, we don't always get that validation, you know, and and sometimes even our faith is questioned, right? Because Correct. um because our faith is intersecting with our identities and we have these lived experiences, we have these traumas and and to kind of have that um questioned and somehow that makes us less Christian for, for naming these things. Like, I never understand that, right? Because that seems like the opposite of compassion, the opposite of what Jesus would have done. And so, yeah, how do how do we deal with kind of the invalidation of our Christianness when we bring up, um, you know, racism, sexism, you know, all sorts of bigotry? How, how do we deal with that? We have to first, uh, like, name it. So that being your faith being questioned because you are observing and sharing things that are valid and make sense to you. Like you being questioned, you being questioned in your reality, but you on top of that being questioned in your faith is gaslighting. So what we do when that happens is we name it. We don't internalize it and say, I'm crazy. I'm being dramatic. I'm, you know, I'm not taking one for the team. You know, I'm being, uh, I'm bringing discord or, you know, whatever Christians like to say, you know, it's like, actually I'm being spiritually gaslit because, you know, spiritual gaslighting is anything used by a spiritual leader, by a spiritual uh, community member, you know, with spiritual language um, to discredit your experience, discredit your reality, discredit, you know, your memory, discredit your sanity, um, cause doubt around your spiritual standing with, you know, the sovereign. Like that is spiritual gaslighting. So if you have a an experience that is very true to you, further validated by people who look like you would understand you and you're trying to share this and are being um bypassed or are being you know kind of called called things <laughs> you know um that you know you're not you need to just say i'm being spiritually gaslit right now 
then you can deal with what you want to do with that. Do you want to call that out? Because that's what I've been doing recently. You're mm. spiritually gaslighting me. <laughs> and then What's like the you response when they when you say that. Um, anger, rage. And I'm like, that's fine because I've been feeling anger and rage for the last 10 years. So, you know, we, <laughs> I have no problems with you. Being, <laughs> if, you know, if I'm going to be angry, you're going to be angry. <laughs> you know, like, if you want me at peace, then let's really work to get peace. Like no more of this. I'm going to feel all these bad negative things about myself while you get to go around willy nilly you know, ignorant mm. about the impact of your actions. I'm we're, I'm just not, that's not fair. You know, we as people of color, we as women of color, you know, we need to stop being okay with, you know, us feeling all these things and then everybody else just going about their work like without a care in the world. Like that's not <laughs> fair because it's always that, it's, that's yes. always the split. You know, you know, ignorance is bliss. They're happy you know, fine, at peace, think work is great. And we're over here fuming and hurting. Like, that's not fair. So mm. I'm going to stop um, suppressing myself, you know, and like lying to myself or at least lying to you for the sake of peace and reconciliation. Like, if, if you mm. know, I'm, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm just going to need to be real. I'm going to call out what I see. Now, to be realistic, there's very real implications to this, right? Because if you're at the wrong place, you know, with the wrong person, you don't have any support, you know, your actual, you know, livelihood could be on the line. Um, but mm -hmm. the the flip side of that is if you are someone who it, it's it's good to be someone who, like, keeps everything, documents everything, um, you know, like keeps record of everything to the best you can because uh there is more support i feel like in like the legal space to actually fight back if it needs to go that way i think mm -hmm. also as particularly as women and women of color I, I i don't think we lean into that enough like you know as long as you're if you're doing your job and you're not being you know you know disrespectful unprovoked there's no reason for you to lose your job over a, an honest conversation that you know mm -hmm. what i mean there's no reason yeah. to lose your job over sharing emotion like so you know i'm not giving legal advice but i just think there's a lot of things that we don't lean into when we have the total authority to and so me realizing that it's like well i'm doing my job i'm doing a great job actually i'm not calling you outside your name i'm not you know falling short of any code of conduct I'm just letting you know how I feel and I'm calling you out for what I need to call you out for. So or if you want to uh, take my job away from me when I'm not ready to go, then we can get legal because I've done nothing wrong. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's real. <laughs> All of this is real talk right here. Um, and thank you. I, I feel very encouraged by that. And and yes, to to suffer in silence or to suffer in kind of small corners of, of places is not is not healthy. And it, it can have these long term impacts, I think, on on not just your your psychology, but, you know, your your body. And I, I've seen this over time you know with with people 
um, looking really ragged over <laughs> over a time, you know, of, of suffering and not being able to speak up because of the gaslighting that you're talking about, right? And this is this is not what God intends in terms of thriving. Um, and certainly, you know, it's um, it's not quote unquote Christian. But I think that even as we're, you know, coming into the holidays, I feel like a lot of families. So how does this work in the, in the family situation? Because I think a lot of families, you know, either avoid talking about this or avoid talking about how they're feeling about what it, whatever is going on in society. I know a lot of people who've actually had to cancel people in their lives because of kind of impasses, right, where people are 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 having impasses over what they deem to be deal breakers in terms of morality, ethics, you know. Um, and so, like, you know, the holidays coming up, what do we do when it's, it's a family situation when they're, you know, these are people that we love or but who have maybe hurt us or are still hurting us? My yeah. family, I have a great family, by the way, you know, but there's certain conversations or certain questions I don't want. And they know that. And it's like this. I can't entertain this right now. And I've had to say that a few times. And now people take heart. And so it's easier to, you know, spend time with certain family during the holidays because they understand, like, peace. This is not a road. Peace wants to go down. That's my boundary. I've had to remind people a couple times, but because I have a great family, everyone's like, okay, we get it. Like, this is not a road we're going to go down, you know? Um, but if I reminded people a couple times and I realized they weren't able to, like, uphold those boundaries, then then maybe I wouldn't be spending as much time with those people. Maybe I'd just say, you know, I can't be there this holiday, you know, mm-hmm. which is hard, but you make the decision, you know, what's worth it to you, what you can handle, what you can't handle. And that's okay to honor that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, you know, I think in uh, traditional families, in traditional Christian families, a lot of times people are like, okay, no matter what, we got to be there, even if we're hurting, even if we're getting critiqued to death, even if we're getting asked questions that are totally, you know, crosses boundaries. Um, or sitting with, you know, the uncle that's like, you know, really, really, you know, has out out of, you know, this world kind of ideas about, you know, whether it's vaccination to to politics, uh, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I think we're, we're, we're forced or a lot of times we feel so much kind of internal as well as maybe familial pressure to just sit there and take it, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do with family. And so I, I love that you are saying that, you know, we can actually set bound, maybe set like some ground rules, right? Before yeah. the, the holiday table saying like, you know what, you know, I would really like to avoid these topics or um, if if they're at any time I don't feel comfortable, I may have to get up and leave and come back. So to just kind of set those, uh, it's almost like you know, rules of engagement, right? That's exactly what it is. I actually love that term. I use that term often in general. There's rules of engagement for everything. And sometimes you, oftentimes you have to set them. You have to create them. Um, And that's good. That's powerful. So um, as we come to the end of our time, I can't believe it just flew by. Um, I usually ask guests, like, is are they reading something, watching something, or listening to something that is, um, I usually say disruptive, but since we're talking to you, Dr. Peace, yeah. um, that we, um, is there something healing or something, you know, um, that can help us kind of get through? I mean, we are in, we're still in this pandemic we are um we are i think so many of us are mentally kind of on the edge of you know breaking down at all times so what what have you been consuming recently that have given you some you know some healing Mm. 
You know, this may, this is actually not something that I'm consuming so much, but something I'm doing is actually being very intentional and okay with just taking care of my basic needs. So I'm someone who typically likes to, um, I I mean, I work 24-7. I'm always grinding. I'm always visioning. I'm always trying to figure out the next step, you know, build, expand, all of that. Like that's my typical MO. But in this Mm -hmm. season, just because I'm burnt out, like I think a lot of us are, I'm, I'm, you know, mentally exhausted. I'm talking with my therapist about whether, you know, you know, what I'm experiencing is like literally depression or not. Like it's just so much happening internally that I realize the most important thing for me to do is sleep, (laughs) eat, Mm. (laughs) um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, like move a little bit more slowly. So Mm. I think for a lot of us, the disruptive thing is to just take care of our basic needs. Like those of us who want to change the world, are changing the world, have influence, have platform, you know, have a lot of people looking up to us, all of that, which is beautiful. I think at this time we need to give ourselves permission to kind of lay that down for a second and just take care of us for a moment. So it's been a strange past couple of weeks because I, I haven't done anything I'm supposed to do this month or fourth quarter. Maybe mm-hmm. I will. Maybe I'll get, you know, energy in another, you know, couple of weeks. But I don't have that energy right now. So it's like, you know what? I guess these goals I had for fourth quarter, I may not get. But I am healing myself by sleeping. And I am healing mm-hmm. myself by, you know, eating nutritiously. Um, by resting, by saying no, by switching up a plan that is too much for me. That's what I'm doing. Nancy, wow, there was so much that came up in that interview. I feel like you know, you're disrupting the disruptors, but she's interviewing the interviewer too. You know, she's helping you process some things. Um, what stuck out to you from that interview? I think what what Peace helped me with the most is setting boundaries, right? Because mm. I asked her about, so what do you do when you're talking to someone and you realize they are spiritually gaslighting you, yeah. I mean, essentially, or, or bypassing you, where, where they're basically not listening to you and your pain and they can't sit with that. And so then they maybe blame you for getting into that situation or even if, if especially in cases of like racism or bigotry, they might say like, well, you know, that's not very, you know, Christian or that's not like, you know, that, that doesn't really happen. Right. Right. I loved how she just told me to just like, you can actually just name it and get yourself out of that situation, even if it causes the other person anger, right? Which is not something we're comfortable with as Christians, as women, as Asian Americans. (laughs) Like that is not something that anyone has told us it's okay to do. Yes. And that all those feelings that you're feeling that are maybe causing you distress that those are actually your body and your brain telling you something that you need to yeah. address yeah. rather than suppressing it and refusing it. It's actually war- your body's warning system. That's what she shared. And that's just great, right? To be able to say, okay, I trust myself. I trust that I am feeling this way because my body is telling me, okay, you need to deal with this issue mm-hmm. um, deeply and not just kind of like 
continue to ignore this because then that's when the the issues you know become trauma and triggers and and actually then you know can actually change your personality and and harm and harm your yourself and uh, the people around you so. and that's so different in how we think about anger because instead of thinking about that as the end outcome we think about it as part of the process for it's a signal i love the way she said you know she talked about that as something that we need to see and recognize and bring it into our processing yeah and i love that when i asked her if she could recommend something to our listeners she just said like you know I just I'm not listening or consuming anything. I am just trying to take care of myself. Mm. I am just trying to sleep more, eat healthier, and just really yeah, self-care in a in a intentional way rather than thinking, okay, I need to read another book. I need to, yeah, you know, I need another more, just kind of down more. to basics and mm-hmm. I really appreciate that cuz I really hope that our listeners will be able to take away from this episode um, to be gentle with themselves and to listen to their bodies, their feelings in ways that are um, healing remix our colors like we cover pop songs in a bottle how we battle all the barriers right some drink some color their hair every night some try to stand out some try to act white found music but i've never been the stereo type new eyes break old lies new skin needs new wine thank you for listening to the disruptors the Disruptors is hosted by me Nancy Wong Yoon you can follow me at Nancy W Y U E N Our theme song is New Eyes by Jason Chu. Our executive producers are Helen Lee and Andrew Bronson. Produced by Richard Clark, Cray Allred, and Myla Kim.